This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Can You Ever Forgive Me? Just these. I don't want the others. Come on, man. I slept these all the way here. There's people waiting. You know, you don't have to be so disrespectful. You've actually carried my books here. And you are? Lee Israel. Oh, we have copies of your latest work right over there. Nobody is going to pay for the writer Lee Israel right now. I'm months behind in my rent, and my cat is sick. It's four in the afternoon, and you're drunk. I'm hardly drunk. Craigie, top her up. My suggestion to you is you go out there and you find another way to make a living. Recently found this delightful sign letter. Fanny Bryce, one of my favorites. I could give you 75. Oh, I could give more for better content. It's a bit bland is all. Yeah, I can definitely get a lot more for this one. I mean, the PS makes it priceless. Quite by accident, I find myself in a rather criminal position. What criminal activity could possibly be involved in, except a crime of fashion, of course? I'm embellishing literary letters by prominent writers. I love his writing. Particularly clever, don't you think? Caustic wit. <laughs> this is quite something. These are wonderful. I thought so, too. Name your price. You were looking at one month's rent. What are we going to do? Gamble? Shop? Drink? <laughs> Ms. Israel, let me have a couple of questions regarding the last letter I purchased. Uh-oh. What seems to be the problem? People are on alert. Your name's been put on a list. On a list? They're literary treasures. One of a kind. It's my writing. You're impersonating other people. Nobody's buying Lee Israel letters. There have been some forgeries going around. Do you think it's real? Looks that way. Good. You're stealing from me? Come on. Get out of my house! That's just supposed to be something more than this. We're probably looking at some time behind bars. What? I can't say that I regret any of my actions. In many ways, this has been the best time of my life. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And the story is as follows. Celebrity biographer Lee Israel makes her living profiling the likes of Katherine Hepburn, Taluya Backhead, Estee Lauder, and journalist Dorfrey Kilgalen. When Lee is no longer able to get published, she has fallen out of step with current tastes. She turns her art form to deception, abetted by her loyal friend Jack. The film is starring Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. It is directed by Marielle Heller and written by Nicole Holofsenia and Jeff 
witty. Join me for this review, I have Tom O'Brien. Hey, everyone. And also as a guest for this week's extra review here on the Next Best Picture podcast, we have Nathaniel Rogers from the Film Experience, everyone. Hello, Nathaniel. Hello, everyone. It is so, so nice to have you on for a discussion with us about what is so far been a, a, a Oscar contender that has been talked about a little bit, but has it been kind of like discussed as one of the big ones in this year's race? And that's what we're going to discuss on uh, this week's review here. And I'm just really, really happy to have an expert such as yourself here to talk about this movie in particular, and especially because you're from New York yourself, right? Uh, well, not originally, but I've, <laughs> I've been here long enough to consider myself a New Yorker, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So there is a little bit of perspective there that uh, lends itself over. And why don't you, before we get into the review, tell all of our dear listeners out there about yourself and the film experience. Uh, well, I've been uh, an online Oscar pundit for 18 years, gasp. <laughs> I can honestly say I've been following for, ooh, I want to say 14 of those 18? <laughs> well, my breakthrough year, like right after I started, uh, basically, the Moulin Rouge year was basically what broke me through to uh, greater consciousness for people. So, um, so I've been a pundit since then and, you know, running the daily, daily website. Yeah. So if you guys have never heard of Nathaniel, shame on you. You should definitely check out all of his work, especially I have to say, I love when you deep dive into the uh, actress categories. That is like some of my favorite work online from anyone, uh, especially you, you actually have a pretty hardcore love for uh, Miss Nicole Kidman. I do. And that's been pretty well I documented do. over the years. Yeah, it's a pity <laughs> we're not talking about Destroyer today. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, but she's, she's in this year's race with Destroyer, but another person who's in the best actress race is Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Didn't think I would say that this year after the Happy Time murders, that's for sure. Wow. But Nathaniel, why don't we first start off with you? What did you ultimately think of Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, I'm a huge fan of it. Um, when I saw the trailer, I was worried. Um, even though I like Marielle Heller a lot and, um, you know, from her one picture. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, there was a good reason to believe it would be good, but the trailer seemed a little flat to me. But I thought the movie was so well judged in everything. Um, the performances the modulation, the character arcs, everything. And it just was a really unusual picture. You don't normally see movies about, you know, writers who've fallen on hard times that are involved in crimes. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like, it just seemed like a really unexpected story to be told. And, and Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant are both sensational in it. Absolutely. I, I definitely have to echo that as well. But before I go into my detail, Tom, what about you? What did you think of Can You Ever Forgive Me? Well, I, w I will uh, can only echo uh, Nathaniel's uh, favorability towards it. I, too, thought the uh, trailer was a bit on the flat side. And I was, you know, whenever I see a, a largely comedic actress turn towards drama, I say, like, uh-oh. I'm thinking of Bill Murray and the razor's edge as like, Oh boy, I don't want to go down that route. Uh, <laughs> but so I was so wonderfully surprised at how good McCarthy is in this. Uh, she stays true to character. There's no, you know, the, the, the film has humor, 
Uh, it's although, although I have read a few reviews that call it a comedy, and it's it's hardly that. Mm. It's very true to what what I have heard Lee Israel's life was like, and there's never any showboating in it by McCarthy. Uh, Richard E. Grant can be very big in it, but that's appropriate for that role. He he, in his own life, Jack was playing a character, you know, bigger than life character as he's trying to bluff his way through life in New York. Uh, it's uh, I think that the Mariel Heller direction is really wonderful, and depending on the, the Academy's enthusiasm for her, for the film and um, Fox Searchlight's publicity machine getting out for Mariel Heller to really make her name familiar, she could get in. I don't. I'm not predicting her right now, but I could see the possibility because it's very subtle work, not unlike Greta Gerwig's last year for Lady Bird. You know, it's interesting mm-hmm. you say that because that was a question that we received this week on the main show, and it was about Marielle Heller's uh, chances in the best director field. And I, I too cited Greta Gerwig's work on Lady Bird and also too um, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight, which is one of those best director nominations to this day where it's like, it's not flashy work. It, stages the scenes well enough and the pacing is everything it needs to be to move the story forward and it focuses on the direction and the writing and i can honestly say i think mariel heller does the same exact thing here with can you ever forgive me this was one of the breeziest movies i've seen this year and i was in it from the moment it began all the way up until the ending credits i was very very thoroughly engaged with this because there is an attention that is paid to the performances to let them breathe. The characterization is so well done. These feel like real, fully dimensional characters. Mm-hmm. And the writing is also witty. It's smart. Of course, I think there is a little bit of a slant for uh, critics and journalists that are watching this that get kind of a kick out of, as you said before, Nathaniel, a, a writer who turns to a life of crime because, you know, their, <laughs> their work is kind of down in the dump right now. But, I, you know, besides that, though, I definitely think that there is a charming quality to this movie that shines through despite how melancholy and damp it can be at times in terms of its just overall mood. And I think that balancing act that Mariel Heller strikes is really well done. Yeah, tonally, it's kind of a marvel, because if you really look at the characterizations, it's pretty caustic and pessimistic in its general point of view and in the characterizations. And yet it does have this real like emotional undercurrent that's lovable somehow without cheapening the characters. Yeah, it's a, she's a heavy drinker. She's vulgar. She's definitely not what you would call PC. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> but yet we like this character. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and I, I think that's that's equally uh, due to uh, McCarthy and the script by Nicole Hall of uh, Center and and Jeff Witte. Uh, Jeff Witte won a Tony Award for writing Avenue Q. And uh, I mean, he might have he might have punched up a few of the jokes, even though that the jokes here are, are, are very few. What I liked about the visual style of it is that it's it, it reflects Lee's life. It's all brown, many browns and earth tones. And when she is trying to regain the color back into her life that she had when she was a successful author. 
So uh, it, it, it really kind of a, was a nice, subtle blend of the look of the film reflecting the state of mind of the character. I really like that. That's a great observation there, Tom. Thanks. The yeah, and and uh, it, it's it's what I, I'm dying to see the film again, and it's one thing I'm going to be looking at a little more closely this time. You know, one thing that uh, struck me while I was watching the movie actually was how full of life it was, not just in terms of the kind of like we said there with the change in the color palette as the movie kind of moves along, and how those browns do give way to a little bit more clarity. I guess in the image, uh, there's a yeah. warmer light that starts to uh, kind of come through the frame. I would say in the third act a little bit more so, but the jazzy score uh, starts off kind of um, down with the piano, and and then it kind of just becomes a little bit more breezy, light, and fun. And of course, Richard E. Grant, my gosh, oh, uh. what a dynamic, high energy, just. Oh, that, that I, I'm in love with this performance and just how big it feels, but at the same time, so human also, you know? Well, I just, like, I've been a fan of his uh, for a really long time, so it's been great to see him, you know, get a role this juicy and big again. Um, I he Not many people know this nowadays, but he published a book called The Film Diaries of Richard E. Grant, like in the early aughts, I believe, or the late 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so wildly entertaining. It's one of my all-time favorite film books. Um, and it was actual diaries from his film sets. Um, cause he, and he still does it, but he, he has vowed that he's never going to publish them again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you get a sense of, like, so if you've read and read his work at all, his diaries, he also did some diaries for magazines back in the day. He like the wittiness to the performance. It's not just the character. It's also him bleeding through because he's really funny, uh, really articulate and just, he's just great. And I mean, and you could tell on the campaign trail with him and McCarthy, they just have such a winning dynamic between the two of them. I, like, I've been saying like all season long, those two together in an interview, like hmm. they're 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 going to charm every party they go to this season. I'm sure. Yeah, you know how could they not? <laughs> and their and their chemistry is up there on the screen. Yeah, you know they, you really you, they need each other. You know it, uh, he, he's far more than a drinking buddy for for mm -hmm. her. An actual human being. Isn't that interesting? Because I found it so fascinating to me that he was a character that was, it, this is how I read it. I, I read it that he was dying internally on the inside and he was doing everything he could on the outside to exude life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love how that contrasts against her where it, it, she just feels like a slow decay, mm -hmm. like a so very, very slow decay. And, and yet this, Life of crime, which also is for many people <laughs> another slow decay, because uh, we all know crime is a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. um, it, it it in turn brings um, an energy and a vibrancy to her life, a spark, if you will, that was not so much there before. And she says it at the end of the film that this has been the time of her life, doing something this dangerous, but also at the same time, her work feeling appreciated. And what it kind of came across as to me is. And it's so, and I don't know if this is because I just moved to New York, but I think that, you know, just in terms of me putting my own experiences 
out there. I almost got the sense of here are two people who are so lonely and she feels like, you know, she needs, she needs her cat and he feels like he needs her. And there's just these two people that are in the most populated city where there's just people and life and, you know, things going on. And yet they're so, so lonely. And, and yet they can still find each other in that loneliness, even if they don't like want to. Because I questioned, you know, early on in the beginning, like, why is Jack putting up with her? Why does he want to <laughs> hang out with her? I don't understand well, what it is. I mean, I, I will say this, and I, I can't take credit for this because my uh, contributor, Chris File, who, who runs the podcast, um, This Had Oscar Buzz, in case any of you have heard that, yep. um, he, he said in his review that he thinks this is one of the most honest depictions of uh, gay-slash-lesbian friendship that he's mm-hmm. ever seen in a movie. And that is completely 100% true. There's like... I, I know that neither of the actors are gay, but there's an authenticity to that relationship that queer people can basically verify to all the rest of you <laughs> that this is exactly or not exactly how it is because everybody's different. But there it it just reads like absolutely how those friendships can be. So because they have this common bond between them, it's able to help him see past what an asshole she can be at times. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I, I never got the sense that she ever had a problem with him other than the fact that she has a problem with everybody. Right. But I could never understand initially why he was putting up so much with her other than the fact that I, I at first I just took it as he was just very lonely mm-hmm. and you know, his life had taken a turn. And there, there is this really, really nice theme that kind of weaves its way through the film that they're not what you would consider old. They're in their 50s. Mm-hmm. But they're at like the turning point where like, you know, their youth is clearly behind them and they're entering into this new phase in their life. And they're both kind of contemplating and thinking back on, is this it? Is this all that there was to my life? And is this this is what it's become, essentially? Yeah, it makes you think of Patricia Arquette's uh, famous line from Boyhood. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I just thought there'd be more. <laughs> well, there, there's a certain light in the eyes of both characters when that friendship is bonded. And it's almost like a new, a, an opportunity for a new adventure that neither one, both of them, I think, had given up on ever happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting because then I look at, the character Anna, the bookshop owner. And I look at how that was maybe contrasted to the life of crime that, you know, Lee Israel decides to go down. Here's another alternative path that she could go down instead to bring uh, that spark and that new avenue to her life, like you were saying there, Tom. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't take it. Spoiler alert. And (laughs) I, I found that to be interesting because... Is it is it because she's jaded and scarred from her past relationship and she just has a hard time trusting people? And and in a life of crime, that's what it's all about is distrust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say there's many reasons why people close themselves off to relationships. But I think in this particular circumstance, it's obvious that Jack is able to weasel his way into her life because there's not that pass- possibility of what she's already given up on. I see. Yeah. So her so her guard is down with him because she doesn't 
need anything from him or she doesn't think she does and vice versa and yet they come to rely on each other it's a really fascinating relationship yeah no it it totally is i mean when we do our end of year lists and we get to best on-screen duos these two are going to be right at the top for me i loved everything about their chemistry um the dialogue obviously helped a lot this is one this is one of my favorite screenplays of the year just because of how it it, it it has that movie quality to it where you know you're watching a movie. It's not cinema verite or anything like that. But at the same time, I haven't seen such richly drawn characters in many movies this year as I felt like I saw in this. Mm-hmm. As we uh, embark now to talk about its Oscar potential, I do want to pass it off to any thoughts on the movie that we didn't touch upon. Is there anything at all that uh, we have skipped over that you really feel passionate about you want to bring up uh nathaniel let's start off with you uh, i am in love with the cat <laughs> yes uh, i i am a crazy cat lady in real life um, i love them so but i i love seeing them in movies in particular when you see how people really are with their pets like this is a movie that really gets to the way new yorkers can be with their pets because big cities you know what you were referring to earlier how how can you be how can you feel lonely in a place that's so crowded and busy but that is a real really a problem city people have yeah and they become very very obsessed with their pets at least from my experience Mm -hmm. so i thought that was a wonderful touch in the movie i i yeah i think a lot of it is the claustrophobia of it all you know small cramped apartments big Mm -hmm. large looming buildings you just feel so isolated and while I definitely think that there is a degree of scale given off in this film with that, um, that yeah, that relationship that she has with the cat here, the cat almost does feel like a supporting character in and of itself, that when we do get to a couple of key scenes in the movie, um, it provides Melissa McCarthy some really surprising work that mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think we all knew that she had in her, but I, but I feel like we've never seen it before on screen. And it, not that it, it didn't take me by surprise in the way of like, oh, I didn't think she couldn't do this. It just was more of I'm surprised by how well this is working tonally and just everything else. And like, like I said, it just goes back again to Marielle Heller's direction of the performance, how the scenes play out, everything. And hello, that courtroom scene. Oh, is yep. the Oscar clip to end all Oscar clips. <laughs> it she, totally is. Totally. <laughs> she has like uh, you know, you know, speaking of scripts not being real life but movie dialogue and how movie dialogue can be its own reality that's so mm-hmm. beautiful if it's done well. And her, that whole monologue I she's just never been better on screen period. Now, here's the question I'm going to ask you. Margot Robbie and I, Tanya's courtroom scene or Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me's courtroom scene? Oh, that's easy for me, McCarthy. Okay. All right. I just wanted, I just wanted to know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, uh, yeah, no, oh, man, I, I agree with you. That's her Oscar clip scene. It has to be. Yeah. Especially considering it's not really a spoiler. It's used in the film's marketing, you know, mm-hmm. so they can definitely get away with it, I think. Tom, any other final thoughts? I uh, I want to talk about a character that I think is a very big character in this film that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the city of New York mm. in 1991. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very different city now. You you have you know Barnes and Noble and Amazon and 
bookstores like the one you see in this film, they're, they're few and far between. And that whole world of independent booksellers and the side uh, business of having uh, buying and selling uh, celebrity letters uh, it seems so far away, but it's only really about 25 years ago. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they keep the action largely to just to certain neighborhoods. And I, I, I think I, I, we're talking about mostly the uh, Lower East Side, except the bar, Julius, which is on the West Side. Um, I cannot tell you, full disclosure, how many times I have walked through that door that Richard E. Grant walks through. <laughs> and it, and, but even that is, is, a, is a disappearing um, icon of New York, the neighborhood gay bar. It's where people in the neighborhood went, not to, not the dancing queens from other boroughs or, you know, the Upper West Side. This is where village residents went and they would have their start drinking at four o'clock in the afternoon. And it, it was always a very friendly, welcoming place. And mm-hmm. you really get that feeling in this. This is once they they are in, they uh, close the door, uh, they and they're inside, they're safe together. Mm-hmm. And because they understand each other, and Julius provides that safety zone. And so I, I must say, I, I I left New York shortly before this period, but I did spend a lot of time in some of those bookstores, and uh, it's a it's a it's a time that has passed, unfortunately. Yeah, I I am glad you brought that up because Julius, I I did want to mention that and forgot to. Is <laughs> such a great bar and. It plays itself in the movie brilliantly. (laughs) And it's still, Julius is one of those out of time places that just doesn't seem to change. Yes. Uh, Which is probably why, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with New York, there's a monthly party at um, Julius called Mattachine, which is uh, John Cameron Mitchell's party, the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that they play like all totally old school music, and it's just got this. And Mattachine, of course, is the name of like a very very early gay rights group before Stonewall. So anyway, Julius has all this rich history, and it's right there in the movie, a piece of it. And it just it was the perfect choice for a neighborhood bar for that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful scene too. It's really really great. As I now uh, move over to final, um, actually no, I don't. I don't think I have any final thoughts now. Hmm. Okay, grade out of ten. So at this point, we're going to move over now to our grades out of ten. Uh, Nathaniel, you're the guest here on this episode. Let's start off with you. Uh, no point fives. Has to be whole numbers. Grade out of ten for Can You Ever Forgive Me? I'm uh, I'm so bad at grading things. I would say an eight or a nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I almost never give tens or A's. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I give like maybe one a year. It's like so hard. <laughs> it makes it terrible because I always imagine like, oh, I'm never going to get my name like in one of those print ads where I'm part of like the many 10 out of 10s that are listed in the marketing because <laughs> I just don't give them. Uh, Tom, what about you? Nor do I. I think the last time I gave a, a, a strict A was Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> uh, that was that was one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I would probably, because I'm a, I'm a very harsh marker, uh, give it a very good, for me, eight. 
uh, and I, I actually am going to land there as well. Uh, for me, it is an 8 out of 10 as well. But, but the only thing that holds it back just a little bit for me is I could imagine sitting some folks down to watch this. And I could – and like, listen, I, I don't feel this way. But I could imagine a world where somebody watches it and thinks to themselves, oh, this is very low stakes. She's forging letters and she's a criminal. There's supposed to be stakes with – what? Yeah. Like – that's the only thing I could imagine somebody like looking at this and being like, you know, that's like the one thing that I, I, because I, I can't imagine somebody really like sitting down and actually actively despising this movie. <laughs> it's so charming and so well written and so well acted. Like, what else are they going to pick apart in this? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that, I can, I can see that. And I know a few people who might. So I won't recommend the film to them. Yeah. Well, in any event, though, I think it's a lovely film and definitely wholeheartedly worth recommending. And with that said, as we now move over to its Oscar prospects, this is definitely a very interesting discussion to have because prior to seeing Can You Ever Forgive Me, I was thinking this was a Best Picture contender, screenplay, McCarthy, Grant, and the possibility of Marielle Heller popping into Best Director was there. After seeing the film... And still kind of maintaining that same belief. I've had a lot of people say to me, well, why? Where's the buzz for this film? Feels like nobody's talking about this movie. And I want to ask you, Nathaniel, do you believe that there is buzz for this movie for it to land in a category like Best Picture at this time? Well, I mean, that's tricky. But I I do want to say that one of the things about where's the buzz I find really irritating (laughs) in general because people forget every year that buzz ebbs and flows. Exactly. And some movies, it takes them longer to rev up. This is not a big splashy movie. So, you know, had it been opening in December, I would say there would be no way it could get nominations. But it has time for people to discover it and fall in love with it, as we clearly have. Now, i got to ask you about that, because one thing I thought was very interesting about this film in particular, as it pertains to time, like Three Billboards last year, Fox Searchlight decided to reveal the trailer back in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I've been wondering, like, is this a sign of Fox Searchlight now? Should we be paying attention around spring, early summer next year for what their big trailer drop is that early for an awards contender? Because maybe it's a sign of confidence on their part. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, It's possible. I I was kind of surprised also how early (laughs) the trailers for both of those were released. Yeah. But I I think Fox Searchlight's big bet is going to be the favorite this year. Oh, I agree with you. Wholeheartedly, yes. But with everything going on in lead actress and you know with who's going supporting for that film i mm-hmm. genuinely i really wholeheartedly believe this she's my number one slot right now i think melissa mccarthy could win for this yeah i mean she is she's a former oscar nominee uh beloved uh by audiences and critics alike when she's not in a ben falcone movie uh and, and, <laughs> sorry <laughs> well, technically, this is sort yes. of a Ben Falcone there, movie because he is in it. I just loved a little bit yeah. of shade there. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that the transformational nature of it, of the reveal of, oh, my God, that's Melissa McCarthy. Um, getting that out early, 
I think it was a really good idea. Yeah. Because people knew this was coming down the pike. And I think because of that, she has survived the happy time murders and which is now off everybody's radar. And the yeah. plate is cleared for this campaign. And I, and, and Matt, I think SNL helps, too. Yeah. And I, Matt, I think that you're absolutely right. They, these two are going to wow them. Uh, on the promotional circuit. Oh, good Lord. This is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, frankly, I think she's a lock. I, I definitely think she's a lock for a nomination. Uh, the window is, Oof. Uh, it's tricky, obviously. You know, Gaga is wowing people. McCarthy is fantastic. Obviously, everybody really loves Coleman in the favorite. I love Coleman in the favorite. And there's... <laughs> what, like 10 other contenders for Best Actress, you know? So yeah. it's like insane yeah, I mean, right that, now. That's why locks seem very dangerous this year in Best Actress because there are just so many valid choices. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, we, we, we could list, all, list them off and I think we would be here for another half an hour or so. Um, but in any event, Richard E. Grant, how are we feeling about his uh, chances for a nomination? I feel better about that every day. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it, it's so solid. And people, are, I think voters are going to see the movie for McCarthy, definitely. And he's going to be the nice surprise. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that he is so likable and their chemistry is so charming that uh, they're going to fall in love with him. I would actually say him, Sam Elliott and Mahershala Ali. I would actually put him with those two as safe picks at this point, to be honest. Uh, in honor of Nathaniel, I won't say locked, but they- <laughs> <laughs> we, we've changed word from locked to safe. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, and it's worth noting that Richard E. Grant has worked with everyone. Yes, he has. Great character actor. He's been around since the 80s um, and been in a lot of famous movies, not so much recently, but in the 90s in particular. Um, yeah, so. The Academy people already know him, but they have never, but there's no fatigue factor with him because he hasn't been in something high profile like this in a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I think I'm thinking of though is Sam Elliott has the same story. Yeah. And that, that may be, you know, is it one or the other? I don't know. Well, I I think Richard E. Grant has the juicier part to be honest, because Mm -hmm. even though Sam Elliott's got some scenes in A Star is Born, and they are some powerful scenes. Don't get me wrong. He clocks in at how much screen time compared to Grant? Is it a little over 10 minutes, is it? Something like that, yeah. So I don't know. You know but you know what? Hey, we'll, we'll save uh, win discussion for the main show. Yeah. Right now, prospects, right? Right. So we're keeping right. it at the prospect level here. And I think the big thing, I think we all, are we all in agreement? Best adapted screenplay? It, it can crack that. Yeah, definitely. Writers, I'm, just, love I'm opening up my chart as we speak. <laughs> I just, before writers I commit, I just want to say, okay, um, right. yeah, that, it's writers. gonna make it there. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing is that it, it's about a writer, and it's about a writer finally having the chance, although a criminal chance, to become an artist, and in her own way, uh, by channeling the voices of these famous people. She becomes the artist that she was never she never really was allowed to be in those creaky movie star biographies. Uh, And also uh, any line that any uh, movie that has a line like 
caustic wit is my religion. Well, <laughs> I, I, writers are going to eat that. that up. So <laughs> I, I think it's safe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. there, there's there were a couple of good lines in this. I I, I don't remember the full <laughs> <A> line. <couple. laughs> I, I I no yeah more than a couple. You're right. Like but like, what's the? I, I have one written down here. I know I have one written down somewhere. It, it's something along the lines of like I'm paraphrasing here. Like you could be an asshole when you're famous, but you're not, or something like right. that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like I that. I think that's a Jane yeah, Curtin line, right? Yeah. Ah, we didn't mention she only has two scenes, but she's great in it. Yeah, I like I liked her scenes with McCarthy a lot, actually. She she reminded me a little bit of Sidney Pollack and Tootsie. You know, yeah. Stop, stop being an asshole. You, mm. you know, <laughs> and you get a job. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good reference. Best director, best picture. What do we think? I, well, I, I currently have her on my chart at twelve for best director. Okay. I'm considering her, considering moving her up to the top ten, but I want to see how the movie expands. Yeah, in the next couple weeks. It's amazing how people like to talk about how box office doesn't really matter, but yet it does yeah. to a certain degree. <laughs> it does when it when it when it comes to these smaller films, it really does. I mean, it matters in the same way that that something you know i hate it when people reference this but it matters in the same way as something like rotten tomato scores it's not so much the number that matters it's it's what the number implies yes and you know it's so funny you say that because i i I, we had a whole discussion about beautiful boy and how beautiful boy was a movie that you know people were considering it in a couple of different categories but once the rotten tomato score came out and some people saw that it wasn't like unanimous across the board praise then all the chances kind of shrunk down to timothy chalamet and that's it and then all of a sudden now because he's like the only shot for that film now even he is on shaky ground to get a nomination or not and people are a little unsure so Mm -hmm. with can you ever forgive me yeah, I think if it maintains in the 90s, I think there's a strong chance it could crack a Best Picture or a Best Director uh, you know, nomination. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm like you, Nathaniel. I have her in the conversation in the top 10, but I don't have her in the top five right now at the moment. I need to see how the general public is going to respond to this movie. But if they respond to it the way the three of us did, man, sky's the limit. Yeah. I, just, just for the record uh, – it's currently 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I will say this. I would love for it to crack a Best Picture nomination. I think it can. I, I'm i not sure, but I think it can. I, I definitely feel it's in the bottom, somewhere in like the 8 eight through 10 position right now. But I think that if people, like, like, like we were saying, if people love it as much as we love it, it's very, very possible. Otherwise... I think that the three safest is actress, supporting actor, and the screenplay. Yeah. yeah. And among those, I would say, you know, really like looking at the charts as we're talking, I would say it's actually the closest I would say to a lock is adapted screenplay, actually. Yeah. Just because the competition there um, is not as strong as in the acting categories. Yeah. I, I actually am a little more optimistic about this i currently have it at seven for best picture which if previous years hold true it will it will be just over the line but we'll make it for a nomination all right well fingers crossed on that one we'll see how it all pans out anybody have any final thoughts before we go please see this movie 
It's wonderful. <laughs> it is. It is. Let's all reiterate that. I'll, I'll do my best now. Please go to the theater. See this movie. Yeah, please go see this movie because if it does well and expands well and the Oscar nominations come, you get a lot of TV time with Richard E. Grant and Melissa McCarthy, which you want. Trust me. Boom. Oh, you do. Well said. Nathaniel, it was such a pleasure to have you on for uh, this review of Can You Ever Forgive Me? Can you tell our listeners one more time where they can find you, sir, on the internet? You can find me at thefilmexperience.net, which is daily talk of movies, Oscars, actresses. Those are the specialties. And on Twitter at Nathaniel R. All right, Tom. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Can You Ever Forgive Me here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and now most recently on Spotify. Please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much once again, and we shall see you all next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.